Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Odysseus rubbed his head as he sat up. The last thing he remembered was lulling to sleep against the soft rocking of the Phaeacian ship. He wasn't rocking now. He was on the wet sand of some mysterious beach. Where was the boat? Where was the crew? Had they crashed? Was he once again marooned on some forsaken island with no hope of escape? He stood as he tried to get his bearings. The night was dark and he was surrounded by an impenetrable mist that made it impossible to see more than a few feet ahead. The hero stumbled forward, arms outstretched like a blind child. Maybe the crew was nearby and they'd gotten lost in the fog. He kept on for several paces, calling out for help, but in response, he heard nothing but the sound of the waves lapping on the beach. Alone and stranded yet again, Odysseus had suffered through so many misadventures and escaped from so many treacherous islands in the years since Troy. He had faced certain death a number of times and always managed to escape by sheer wits and the occasional divine intervention. But his luck had to run out eventually. Maybe this was it and he would die here in the dark mist on some strange island, abandoned by the gods and forgotten by all but his wife and son. He fell forward, burying his face in the sand, and then he froze. Odysseus was a learned man, considered by most to be the wisest of the Greeks. He knew that the soil and sand of every island were different, there were distinct smells and textures that, if you knew how to interpret, would always tell you where you were. Odysseus knew this sand, though he had not felt it in close to twenty years. He stood up as the mist suddenly seemed to dissipate in front of him, giving him just enough light to see it. The Palace of Ithaca 
Odysseus was finally home. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Mythology in the search bar. This is our third episode on Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey. In the last two episodes, we discussed Odysseus's accounts of his wayward journey from Troy and the encounters that killed all of his men. We also followed Odysseus's son, Telemachus, as he set out on his own journey to find out if his father was still alive. This week, we'll continue the story as Odysseus sets out on one more voyage and finally arrives back home in Ithaca. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. After a long night of sharing his tale with the whole court, Odysseus was something of a minor celebrity among the Phaeacians. His account of his journey from Troy, his encounters with the Cyclops, the witch Circe, the giant Lastragonians, and a terrifying descent into the underworld itself had made for a story more epic and beautiful than any man on the island had ever heard. The next day, as Odysseus walked around the palace, everyone he encountered told him of how moved they were by his tale. But he did not enjoy the fame as much as he likely should have. As was ever the case, Odysseus longed for home. In telling the story, he had been forced to relive the accounts of his own infidelities with the witch Circe and the goddess Calypso. He felt such shame for dishonoring his wife, Penelope, in that way, and had taken to praying to the gods that he might have the chance to redeem himself. But, of course, in order to do that, he needed to finally make it back home. King Alcinous and Queen Arete saw Odysseus's visit as nothing less than divine providence. Their guest was a bona fide hero in distress— though it was a shame that he wasn't going to take them up on their offer to marry their daughter, Nausicaa, they truly wanted to help this man on the final leg of his journey. By the king's orders, the Phaeacians gathered and slaughtered bulls to Zeus, praying to the thunder god to show mercy on Odysseus and allow him, finally, to return home. Then the Phaeacians stocked a massive ship with supplies and men. This would be Odysseus's ticket back to Ithaca. They hosted a magnificent feast once more in Odysseus's honor to commemorate his great deeds and the hopeful conclusion of his long journey. When the feast was over and the sun had begun to set, 
Odysseus finally prepared to board the ship that would take him home. Lord Alcinous, Lady Arete, I cannot thank you enough for your hospitality. You have granted me the one thing I have desired, a way home. May no evil ever fall upon you or your people. Odysseus had eaten well at the feast, so well, in fact, that he soon found himself overcome with fatigue. As the Phaeacians sailed on, Odysseus laid down and slept. He was asleep when Ithaca appeared on the horizon. He slept through his homecoming as the ship docked near the shore. The Phaeacians could not imagine what a man like Odysseus had gone through, and so they opted not to disturb his long-earned slumber. Instead, they gently rode up to the beach and laid him out on the shore among the gifts that Alcinous had bestowed on him. Then they bid farewell to Ithaca and set off back home. Odysseus had no way of knowing that he had doomed them all, as they had committed the simple crime of kindness. For even as he continued to sleep on the shores of Ithaca, Poseidon, the god of the sea, became furious. After spending years tormenting Odysseus, the god of the sea had taken an extended leave of Greece, only to return and find that his work had been undone. Against all odds, Odysseus had managed to somehow make it back home. He howled in rage from the heights of Mount Olympus. As the Phaeacian ship returned home, Poseidon lashed out with his godly magic. When the ship was in view of the harbor, he snapped his fingers and turned it to stone, watching with glee as the ship sank and every man on board drowned. King Alcinous and Queen Arete looked on in horror as the god conjured a great stone from the depths, right at the spot where the ship had sunk. The stone was so huge that it effectively blocked the harbor to any ship that may want to enter. And so it was, from that day on, that the once gentle Phaeacians shunned outsiders. For in helping Odysseus, they had brought misfortune upon themselves. But at the same time, Odysseus was too overjoyed to consider the gods' punishments. For the first time in 20 years, he felt his homeland beneath his bare feet. In fact, that was the only thing he could feel. A heavy mist had settled over the island. Odysseus could neither see nor smell nor hear anything beyond the swirling clouds. Athena herself had cast it so that when Odysseus returned home, no one else would know. Now she wandered through the mist, moving toward the sound of Odysseus's joyous cheering. Who is that? Who's there? Athena. I knew it. I take it this mist is your doing? Odysseus? Is that you? Who else? After all these long years, I am finally home. I am happy for you, but I'm afraid your trials are not yet over. Listen closely, old friend. Your life depends on following my exact instructions. Athena then waved her hand. 
Odysseus felt the very skin on his face change and mold in age. He couldn't tell it yet, but the goddess had shifted his appearance so that none on the island would recognize him for who he was. Then, on Athena's instructions, Odysseus wandered through the mist until he finally came upon a ramshackle hut that belonged to a swineherd named Eumaeus. Who is that? Name yourself before I strike you down with my stick. Calm down, friend. I am just an old beggar, seeking shelter from this strange mist. I, you have the look of someone to whom life has not been kind. Come, I'm just a simple swineherd, but I have some meat and wine to share. Take a load off, tell me how you came to be here. Though these past twenty years have been full of strife, some of us have still not forgotten how to treat our guests in the home of Odysseus. Odysseus, you say? I've heard a tale or two about him. Many on this island have long given up hope that he'll ever return. His father, Laertes, grieves on his farm while his wife, Penelope, contends with the scores of suitors who have invaded the king's palace. And Telemachus? What of him? He's gone, left to search for his father. Good lad. I hope he finds happy news. As do I. Though had he stayed here, then perhaps good news would have come to him. What if I were to tell you that Odysseus is alive? <laughs> I would look upon you with suspicion and demand to know how exactly you know this. Why, I fought with the man in Troy. If you can't tell, things haven't gone too well for me since the war ended. But I can let you know this. A year ago, as I wandered through Egypt as a lowly beggar, I heard word that Odysseus's heart was still beating. At that news, Eumaeus leapt from his seat and praised the gods, for he had prayed to them nearly every night for a sign that his king was still breathing. Overjoyed, Eumaeus poured the wine freely for his new guest, completely unaware that he was actually sitting with his lost king. As he caught Odysseus up on everything that had happened on Ithaca in his absence, the wise hero began to formulate a plan to kill his rivals and get his kingdom back. Athena watched over him as he contemplated, and she put in his head thoughts of violence and bloodshed. Reclaiming Ithaca would not be a clean affair. Next, a father and son reunion, two decades in the making. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now, back to the Odyssey. 
While Odysseus had successfully returned to Ithaca after his long odyssey, there was still much to do before he could truly rest in his palace. For one, his son was not even on Ithaca. Telemachus had set out in search of his father and had learned from Menelaus, king of Sparta, that Odysseus was still alive. Telemachus had stayed in Sparta in the days following the revelation. He had feasted at the side of King Menelaus and, at Athena's urging, studied the aging king to learn how to act before guests. Despite the educational opportunity, Telemachus was restless and could not wait to return home and tell his mother the wonderful truth. Finally, a sign from the gods themselves told Telemachus that it was time for him to return to Ithaca. Telemachus, I hope your time on Sparta has left you well-rested and prepared for the trials ahead. I will face whatever challenges I must to find my father. Do you know where he might be? I am pleased to tell you that your prayers have been answered. Odysseus is at home on Ithaca. Blessed be! My mother must be overjoyed. Odysseus has not revealed himself to Penelope. He is hiding out on the beach, waiting for your return. Your mother's suitors have banded together. They conspire to murder you when you arrive at Ithaca. I will cut down every last man where he stands. Calm yourself, young lad. There are 108 of them, and only one of you. You and your father will emerge victorious against everyone who has wronged you. But you must be smart. Telemachus hardly slept that night as he considered the goddess's words. All his life, he'd wanted to live with his mother and father as a family. Could that dream actually be close to reality? Telemachus approached Menelaus and Helen just after dawn. He thanked them for their hospitality and their wisdom, and then made for his ship. And as the king and queen of Sparta watched the young man go, an eagle swooped down from the heavens above and grabbed a goose in its deadly talons. All who saw the act knew they had just witnessed an omen of the gods. It was Helen who spoke out that it may be a sign. Odysseus was back in Ithaca, and he would soon come down on all of those who were foolish enough to think they could be his equal. Telemachus first sailed to Pylos, where he said farewell to his traveling companion, Nestor's son, Pesistratos. Pesistratos urged Telemachus to come to visit with Nestor once again, but Telemachus was in too much of a hurry to wait around. Decorum be damned, Telemachus was going home to see his father. Back on Ithaca, Odysseus found himself growing bored and restless. He knew that the gods would give him the sign he was waiting for when it was finally time to take action against the hated suitors and reveal himself to his wife. He considered Eumaeus, the kind, simple swineherd who had taken him in despite having no idea who he really was. You have been far too kind, my friend. I promise that I'll be gone by the morning and out of your hair. Nonsense, stranger. You should stay as long as you like. I insist. I really don't want to impose. I'd hate for you to think you were being taken advantage of. The gods stress hospitality. I may not be a great king with a big palace, 
but I still have a roof and food and wine, and so I am more than capable of hosting a wayward traveler. You are not a king, yet you have the manners of a king. How did you come to this island? Eumaeus eyed the beggar before him, considering the oddness behind his question. He wondered if there may be more to this man that meets the eye before he launched into his story. I was once the prince of a small island called Syra. Do not worry if you don't know of it, for few do. I have not laid eyes on the place since I was an infant. A treacherous maiden in my father's house handed me off to Phoenician pirates when I was just a baby. I grew up on the deck of their ship until, when I was a young man and able to perform labor, they brought me here to Ithaca, where Laertes, father of Odysseus, bought me as a slave. He was a good man, who gave me a hut and land, and named me one of the swineherds of Ithaca. I've heard the tales of Laertes' kindness. I've never met a better man. Surely he freed you from his service. Why did you not return home? This island is my home, my real home. I may have been born in Syra, but I couldn't even point it out to you on a map. I also think about the plight of Odysseus, who, for all we know, is still out there somewhere trying to find his way back here. I'd rather be a servant on the island I know than king of a far-off land that I'm destined to never find. Odysseus was deeply moved by the swineherd's story. Because he had been raised by Laertes himself, that made them close to brothers. And in that moment, he ached to reveal his true identity, just so that someone would know. But he held his tongue, and the two men spent yet another night enjoying each other's company, drinking and feasting until the sun was nearly up. Do you hear that? Someone approaches. Stay here. I'll investigate. Eumaeus? Are you in there? Quick, let me inside before somebody sees. Odysseus maintained his composure as Telemachus entered the hut. He knew that his son wouldn't recognize him with the disguise that Athena had cast over him, though he didn't consider the fact that Telemachus likely wouldn't recognize him regardless. At the sight of the young prince, Eumaeus fell to his knees and wept. Oh, Prince Telemachus, I knew you would return to these shores alive. Rise, Eumaeus. It is good to see you, though I confess I am in something of a rush. And who, pray tell, is this? Just a simple beggar, my lord. Eumaeus was kind enough to grant me shelter for the night. He's a kind soul, my prince. I trust him. Please, speak. Did you find word of Odysseus? The gods themselves have guided me back to Ithaca, for it seems my father is not only alive, but somewhere on the island. Blessed be. I must go to my mother at once. No. What? Tell me what you know, beggar. Just that you are surely outnumbered by these suitors who seem to have invaded your father's palace. They will overpower you for sure. He's right. This is not a fight to be won by brute force. I don't know. I'd bet on myself against any of these pretenders. And you'd likely win if there were just one or two of them. You seem familiar, beggar, though I'm sure we haven't met. Very well. What would you have us do? I will make my way to the palace. The suitors will think nothing of a lowly swineherd like me. 
I'll get word to your mother that you are alive and on the island. Then we can plan our next move. And so Eumaeus left Telemachus and the disguised Odysseus hiding in his cabin while he set about his task. Is he gone? He's gone. Now, tell me the truth. Who are you? I have spent enough time in the company of kings to recognize your mannerisms. You are no simple beggar. You are a wise lad, just like your father. And with that, Athena came down and touched Odysseus, lifting the veil of disguise that she'd cast on him. For the first time in his memory, Telemachus beheld his own father. They embraced, and in that moment, Odysseus felt more at peace than he had in ages. But there was little time to celebrate the reunion. You're back! The suitors have no further business pestering mother. If we go to the palace now, they'll be gone by morning. It's not that simple. Athena told me that they were planning to kill you. If they've already mobilized against us, then they'd have no difficulty killing me as well. And if we're both dead, there's nothing to stop them from forcing your mother to marry one of them and claiming our kingdom as their own. What must we do? They may outnumber us, but they can't match our wits or our cunning. And so father and son began putting together a plan of how they would retake their home. As Eumaeus approached the palace, he heard the shouts of the suitors from within the great hall. As it turned out, they had found Telemachus's ship. They knew that the young prince had returned to the island and that their planned ambush had failed. Antinous, the rash leader of the suitors, tried to get a hold of the crowd. This changes nothing. We still have the advantage against Telemachus. If he shows his face, we'll cut him down. And if he doesn't show up, well, even better. It's not like he can oppose us from a hiding place. None of the men seemed to care much that Penelope was in the hall, listening to them as they callously talked about how they planned to murder her son. The men grew bolder by the day, and they knew that they had essentially made Penelope their captive. That night, the men stayed up, waiting for Telemachus's return. All the while, Odysseus and Telemachus readied their plan. Their vengeance would be swift and absolute. They would kill the suitors or die trying. Next, Penelope reunites with her husband, though she doesn't know it yet. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Now back to the Odyssey. At the home of Eumaeus, the friendly swineherd, Odysseus had finally reunited with his son Telemachus. 
they had spent the night forming a plan to retake their palace from the hostile suitors and slept dreaming of their justice. When the sun rose the next morning, Athena returned to Eumaeus's cabin. She cast her magic once again on Odysseus and turned him back into the grizzled, aging beggar. I'm off for home. It will take all of my will not to tell mother the good news that you've returned. But you must. The men in the palace are cowards. They will try to cut you down from behind. Keep them in front of you and keep your spear handy. This should deter them until I can make my move. Telemachus set out for the palace, spear in hand, ready to strike down whoever may come at him. Luckily, he didn't have to use it. He arrived at the palace without being accosted, and when Penelope saw him, she nearly fainted with joy. You've returned! I feared the worst. The men here have conspired to kill you. The danger's not over yet, but we will soon be rid of these Cretans. But what hope do we have? They will never leave so long as they think Odysseus is dead or lost. Have hope. In my travels, I heard word of Odysseus's possible whereabouts. It seems he yet may be alive and on the return journey. I've held that hope for ten years now. When will he return? If the gods are good, soon. It pained Telemachus to hide the truth from his mother, but he knew that he had to stick with the plan if he was to get rid of the suitors. Meanwhile, Odysseus, in his beggar disguise, set out for the palace with Eumaeus by his side. The land may not be much, but it's home. It's beautiful. It's seen better days. In the absence of Odysseus, our upkeep has dwindled. We are all in need of a good, strong king to lead us. Telemachus is brave and determined, but he is still a young man and has much to learn about the responsibilities of kingship. I'm sure he will make a great king. Oh, he will, but... What? Someone's coming. Indeed, as the two men passed through the town, they encountered a man named Melanthios. Despite being a native citizen of Ithaca, Melanthios had allied himself with the suitors and had become cruel. He spat at Odysseus, for in his eyes he was looking at a dirty beggar. Eumaeus tried to intervene, but Melanthios kicked out, knocking Odysseus over before he sauntered off. That hurt. I made no threat to that man, and yet he attacked me. See? Odysseus was wise and good. In his absence, some of his people have become brutes. I hope everyone on the island isn't like that. It'd be a shame to have to kill them all. They continued on in silence as Odysseus considered the difficult task before him. He was going to kill the suitors, that much was certain. But would he also be forced to kill his own people? He continued to dwell on the morality of his mission as Eumaeus led him to the palace of Ithaca. The suitors were not happy with the filthy beggar that stood before them. Eumaeus, what are you thinking, bringing this filthy wretch into our halls? These aren't your halls, Antinous. This is Odysseus's palace, and he was a good, kind king who never turned a man away. Well, Odysseus isn't here, and he's not coming back. 
Get out of here and take your disgusting friend with you. He stays. I command it. Antinous and the rest of the suitors turned to see Telemachus, spear still in hand, standing before them. A tension ran across the room, and for a moment it seemed as if battle may break out right then and there. Telemachus, we heard you were back. It's a shame you had to sneak around like some kind of criminal. We had a big surprise prepared for your return. I'm sure you did, but I'm here now, and as the acting ruler of Ithaca, I order that this man will sit and dine with us tonight. The men all unhappily sat at the banquet table to have their dinner. Telemachus took his seat at the head of the table, with his back against the wall and his spear close by. Eumaeus and Odysseus made to take their own seats, but it seemed they were too close to Antinous for his liking. Get away from me! A gross beggar and a lowly swineherd have no place at this table. Go off in the corner away from my eyes. I don't want to see you. <laughs> What's so funny? Huh? You have the nerve to order me around and tell me what I can and cannot do in this hall. When you yourself are also an outsider here. You breathe this air and eat this food that belongs to another man. Telemachus has spent years telling you to leave, but you won't. Your arrogance is astounding. And the fact that you can't see the humor in it probably means there's not much of a brain behind that pretty face. Huh? Then Antinous, enraged at the beggar's insult, stood and threw his stool at the guest. Odysseus stumbled as the stool hit him in the chest. That'll teach you to run your mouth. Enough. This man is my guest, more welcome in my halls than any of you. Do not lay a finger on him. The gods reserve special punishments for those that are not good hosts. Compose yourselves. The men grumbled and resumed their meal, each one thinking about when they would get a chance to kill Telemachus and his beggar friend. Then, Telemachus was approached by his mother's handmaidens. Penelope had heard news that the beggar was in her home and that he had been poorly treated by the suitors. She summoned the beggar to come speak with her. You, beggar, come with me. Where are you going? Never you mind. If he's going to speak with Penelope, then we should all go. Your mother has held us at bay for too long to now insult us by meeting privately with a lowly beggar. Eumaeus, sensing the tension in the room, then stood and announced to all that he was leaving to return to his swine. As the men were distracted, Odysseus snuck away. Soon the men forgot that the beggar had ever bothered them and resumed eating. Each of them kept their eye on Telemachus and waited for him to drop his guard. I'm sorry that you received such harsh treatment in my home. Things would indeed be different if my husband were here. He must be a great man indeed. Everyone seems to miss him. Most everyone. I've heard from my servants that you are a visitor to Ithaca. I wanted... Well, I wondered if you might have news of him. Aye. I've heard he is adrift, but alive. In fact, he is closer than you know. Have faith. Trust the gods. All will be well. <laughs> <laughs> 
I will try to believe that. It broke Odysseus's heart to conceal his true identity from Penelope, but he followed Telemachus's example and kept his composure as he returned to the hall. When he reached the hall again, he found that the suitors were gathered around another beggar, a man named Arneas. Ah, good. He's back. Gather round, everyone. Seems the beggar has a friend. I said to leave them alone, Antinous. My good young king, do not worry about me. Who is this now? Arneas spat at the ground before Odysseus's feet. With a mighty roar, the beggar tackled Odysseus to the ground, and they began to wrestle. The suitors all thought it was great fun to watch the two dirty men fight. But their fun did not last, for though Odysseus appeared to be an old beggar, he still had his strength. He easily lifted Arneas up and tossed him across the hall. The men stared in awe at Odysseus, who seemed to be much stronger than a man of his age should be. A sense of fear passed over each of them as they realized the man may be more of a threat than they had thought. But then... Ha! Maybe the old geezer has some use after all, as entertainment! In their arrogance, they quickly assumed that the old man would make for some interesting spectacle. The men made jokes and jabs about what they should make Odysseus do next, until a man named Amphinomus raised a glass and told the men to honor Odysseus. The men did even the begrudging Antinous. Then Amphinomus brought Odysseus a plate of food. You, Amphinomus, come here. The man's show of kindness had moved Odysseus. Odysseus pulled Amphinomus aside and whispered in his ear. He warned Amphinomus that Odysseus would return soon and urged him to flee the hall or else he would die. <laughs> Amphinomus laughed at the old man. What did he know? And as he returned to the party, Odysseus cursed at himself. He'd nearly blown his cover. And for what? To try and save one man who was slightly less bad than the others? Then the men all turned to behold Penelope, who had donned her finest dress to appear before them. As Odysseus had been wrestling, Athena went to Penelope and influenced her mind. The queen was suddenly seized by the urge to make herself presentable and appear before the suitors. Honored guests, I thank you for your patience as I mourn my husband. Some of you may not know this, but I made a vow to myself long ago. If Odysseus did not return before my son, Telemachus, had grown his first beard, then I would know it was time to take a new husband. And as you can see, my son has a beard. A scraggly one, but yes, I suppose he does. Mind your words. Enough. I've had a lot of time to think as of late. You all have benefited greatly from my hospitality, but I don't think any of you have shown me how I might benefit from you as a wife. Wouldn't a real man give me gifts worthy of my beauty? The men rushed off to their rooms to seek gifts, each one aiming to push the other out of the way. Soon, only Odysseus, Telemachus, and Penelope were left in the hall. 
Odysseus nodded at his son. Penelope still did not know that the beggar was her husband, but she felt that she could trust him no matter what he did. Odysseus looked around the old hall that was his by birthright. He swore that the next time the suitors entered, they would not leave alive. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with the final episode of the story of Odysseus. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children. And every other Saturday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythology, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Mythology in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Colin McLaughlin. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Rebecca Ahrens Diamond, Jerry Courtney Austin, Heston Mosier, Mani Bramin, Brett Schneider, and Jack Shulroff. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Mm-hmm.